it's time now to invite Rachel. Lovely Rachel Clark is coming to speak to us this morning. Woo! Very warm welcome to you this morning, Rachel. Shall I just pray for you? Father God, we thank you for Rachel. We thank you for her faithfulness and the life that she lives for you. Um, we thank you so much for the, the dedication that she has uh, put into preparing this morning. And we just pray that as she speaks to us, you would open our hearts, you would open our ears, and that the message you want us to hear would be delivered through her words. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, lovely people. I stand before you both uh, excited and nervous. Um, excited because I believe God wants to do exciting things this morning, and I have a really expectant heart. Um, so I, and I'm nervous because standing up here is nerve-wracking. Um, so we are continuing with this series that we've been looking at since the beginning of the year, the Jesus you need to know. And I feel like I want to say the Jesus I need to know, that we need to know. Um, and I, I just want to start with this quote. So have a little read. This is my favorite quote ever because I use it in work all the time. I won't go into what I do. But I am endlessly fascinated that people look at things and look at the same thing and see it entirely differently. That what we see and what we hear depends a great deal on where we're standing and also the type of people we are. So I am fascinated by that. I am one of three girls. Three, I have two sisters. We grew up in the same home. We have many similarities, but we have many, many differences. And uh, it's endlessly fascinating. So, have you, do you know this painting? Has, does anybody know this painting? You might have heard it, it's called The Vision and the Vow. And it depicts Jesus sitting on Mary's lap with two saints uh, in the foreground. And there was a very famous art critic who looked at this painting and was deeply troubled by it because the perspective looks all wrong. And if you look at, in the background, you'll see those hills and they kind of look like they're all about to fall out of the frame. And then if you look at the foreground, the saints look really awkward and uncomfortable. And he was really bothered and he basically deduced that the painter had, hadn't done a very good job in terms of perspective. And then, and then he had a flash of inspiration and he thought, this was, not, this was not a painting that was intended to be displayed in a gallery. It was a painting that was intended to be in a place of prayer. And so he dropped to his knees and everything came into focus. Everything was perfect and the perspective was exactly right. So he saw this from a different angle and saw something entirely differently. You might also be familiar with this sort of optical illusion and depending you could, on, on, how, on what you're focused on, what's in your mind, what's been going on around you, you'll either see an older lady or you'll see a young woman. Our perspective is entirely different because of where we're standing and the sort of people we are. And the reason I'm telling you this, my point is, the way we see Jesus 
is entirely dependent on where we're standing, our experiences, what we know of him, whether we know anything about him, um, where we are, what day of the week it is. Glad to know Caleb knows Fridays. Um, so we might think we've got the whole picture about Jesus. We might think we've got him pinned down. My invitation to you this morning is to try and see a different from a different perspective and to see the Jesus that we really need to know because he defies our expectations all the time. And Tom, I loved the song that we did just then, Give You Space. We want to give Jesus space this morning to come and show us something entirely different about who he is and what he wants for this world. So that's my invitation to you this morning, is to metaphorically drop on your knees and see things from a different angle. So just a quick recap, we've been going through the Gospel of John and looking at different stories where Jesus either did miraculous things or had mind-blowing conversations. And we started, and I loved when Ed started at the beginning of the year, he, he said, uh, he really felt that, it, that it, the series should have been the Jesus who's full of surprises, and I absolutely agree with that. So in Ed's talk, we heard about Jesus going to a party, a lot of us might be surprised that Jesus went to a party, had a good time, and where he really very generously turned water into 600 bottles of very fine red wine, perfect party guest. But he blew expectations. He surprised his disciples. His disciples believed because of that sign. Then we considered with Dave a covert conversation between Nicodemus, one of Israel's greatest teachers, who people would have looked up to and looked to for spiritual guidance, who met Jesus, and Jesus turned his world upside down by saying he needed to be filled with the Spirit to really know who God was. And we see Nicodemus entirely transformed because of that conversation. He met Jesus in the dark of night because he didn't want to be ashamed. At the end of uh, John's Gospel, after after Jesus had been crucified, we see Nicodemus going with Joseph of Arimathea to get Jesus' body in broad daylight from Pilate. That complete heart transformation that he couldn't deny who Jesus was and so went very publicly. I, I think that's wonderful. And then Deborah talked to us about a life-changing conversation between a Samaritan woman and Jesus that frankly really shocked his disciples. Because in that conversation, he smashed through every cultural barrier, every gender barrier, every social barrier, every theological barrier to tell her that she was meeting with the Son of God who loved her and was accepted and, wanted, and could have a place in his kingdom. And of course, she believed, but also many, many of the town believed. So these are just wonderful examples of how Jesus works in really surprising ways. And I, I, I have to confess to you that often when I'm reading my Bible in a year, I'm skating through the passages. I'm skating through and my head is half on what's coming for the next, next part of my day and what I'm going to do. I've got a very busy mind. And so this week has been a really amazing opportunity for me to actually just stop and say, Jesus, what do you want to show me about these passages today. We're going to look at two passages where Jesus healed. 
And what do you want me to see today that I haven't seen before? So just now we're going to read these passages. And my invitation to you, I'm going to read them, and they'll be on the screen, is to give Jesus space to bring something to your attention, to bring something into your perspective that you haven't seen before. So, here we go. All right. So, once more, Jesus visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. And Jesus replied, and it feels a little bit harsh, unless you people, um, Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official persisted. Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired, As to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon. uh, One in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus has said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So just a couple of points about that before we go on to healing number two. So, the royal official, there was a great air of expectation in Cana because Jesus had done many signs. So this royal official, who had great standing, came with a very expectant heart. He travelled, I tried to get this, this may not be quite right, but I think Capernaum to Cana is about 25 kilometres, so not a small distance when you're either on a donkey or on foot. So he had real, he was really persistent And he was really insistent and very clear with Jesus, come with me to heal my son who is close to death. And then Jesus didn't do what we might have expected, which is to go with him. Surely a compassionate, kind God would go with him. He said instead, go, your son will live. So the man took him at his word and later learned that he, his son had been healed at exactly the moment Jesus said, at 1 p.m. I quite love that specificity. Um, And it's a bit shocking, Jesus wasn't even present. So he defies the law of physics, people. He defies the law of physics. So those are just a few things. You will hopefully have had something else that struck you from that passage. So healing number two. Hang on a sec, I've gone on a bit. uh, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. In various different translations, the many has been described as the hundreds, so this was a really busy place full of people who needed healing. One was there who'd been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there 
and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, oh, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who'd been healed, it's the Sabbath, the Lord forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who, you told, who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowds that were there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. And so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, find ways to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling himself his own God, his own father, making himself equal with God. Oh, no, I don't want that slide. Sorry. That's the one I want. So just to pull out a few things of that, again, I'm hoping you noticed something. The disabled man was one of many many hundreds of people and in other gospels you know it talks about Jesus healing every disease and every illness and in this story he spots one man he spots one man and he hones in on him and he sees him and he sees his need the man has absolutely no idea who Jesus is it's I think I think that's why he has no idea so there is no expectation in his heart about what's going to happen. And he says, do you want to get well? And that feels a bit of a, a, a sort of obvious question, but I wonder how much of that is also about this man having lost hope and just being overlooked, because he said, I can't get in the water, no one's gonna help me to get in the water. He had a very clear idea about how he was gonna get well. He had to get in the water when it all started to bubble, or otherwise he wasn't gonna be healed. And so, Jesus did the unexpected and just said, pick up your mat and go. So he did. And again, we might think, oh, those days of fasting and praying and laying on of hands and all the rest. Jesus says, just go. Get up, take your mat. And of course, it was very controversial. It was very controversial because it was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders completely missed the glory of a man who'd been crippled for 38 years and said, you shouldn't be carrying your mat. So Jesus... I think elicited a fear response in the Jewish leaders. You will have noticed other things. Now, you might say, well, I don't want this to be an academic exercise, so I have a wonderful story to tell you with my friend Roz. Roz, would you come up, please? Now, Roz, tell people uh, where you went for Christmas. So some of you might know, but I went to New York for Christmas. 
So pretty amazing. And if you go to New York, short, sharp blast, really busy, walking gazillions of miles. Um, and, and Roz, before you went, and I am such a generous friend, that I uh, shared with you the most hideous cold that I'd had in a very long time, which was bordering on flu, people, really bordering on flu. So I generously shared that with Roz. So Roz, tell us what happened. So I was flying to New York on the 23rd of December. That was a Saturday. And on the 17th of December, it was a Monday, I caught Rachel's lurgy, and I felt dreadful. I mean, I felt really awful. And I don't normally get colds or anything very much, but I felt rubbish. And I felt rubbish on Tuesday, and I felt rubbish on Wednesday. And I was thinking, oh, I'm going flying an eight-hour flight in three days, and I feel terrible. And I was really sort of, it really was taking the enjoyment or the anticipation out of going on holiday because I just thought, oh, I'm not sure I can walk around the airport, get on the plane. It takes a lot of effort. I did feel terrible. So, yeah. So, um, I met with my lovely friend Hazel and we decided we needed to pray for Roz because this was a big trip with her sister and it was a big deal. So we prayed for Roz and afterwards I messaged Roz and said, we prayed for you. And she said... So I said, when was that? So she pretty much gave me a time. And I said to her, well, this is what happened. I was sitting, this was the Friday, so this was the day before I was going, still feeling shocking. So I was sitting in my lounge having a cup of tea, and I had this overwhelming sense that somebody was praying for me, and I didn't know that it was at that time that Hazel and Rachel were praying for me. And I've never had it before, but it was just like somebody's praying for me right now. And then no sooner had I had that feeling that I just had not very many, few minutes later, this sense, and it was from my toes to my head. It was like I had this thing that was pulled up and I immediately felt like a new person. Mm. And um, I had a bit of a sniffle still and a bit of an earache, but seriously, I did not feel unwell at all. At all. Thank you. Thank you. We, we were very grateful for that. And I was, you know, it was just such an act of grace because, I mean, I, I can't tell you, it was like flu. Graham told me I looked nearly 80 when I had it. <laughs> Honestly, it was terrible. And I really didn't want Roz's trip to be marred, especially because I felt responsible. Um, so we prayed and we saw that happen. And we were very excited, very excited. So I just wanted to anchor these stories which were set 2,000 years ago with current healing right now. And so what I did is I asked Jesus, what did he want me to see that was different about this? How could he open my eyes, open my heart to see something different? And so the things I noticed, these are just things I noticed that I hope might be helpful, is that these healings had no strings attached. There was no preconditions that had to be met by these two individuals, the man seeking healing for his son, 
the, the manor by the pool. There was no preconditions. They didn't have to meet a level in order for Jesus to respond to them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him might be saved. It's all about the son. And how often do we hang back from asking God because we feel ashamed of something? We think we haven't been living terribly well recently. We haven't been praying enough. We haven't been reading our Bible. We sort of disqualify ourselves. And I just felt that really, this was not about the people. This was about the love of God. I think the healings were really unique and unpredictable. So we have a view that God will answer our prayers in a very certain way because of how we see the world, because of our previous experience, because of our expectations. We need to tell Jesus where we need help, what we need help with, and let him decide how he will meet that response. And so, you know, we see that Jesus wasn't physically present when he healed the man's son. He just said, go, your son's well, and the, ma the man went. So, and then, and then defying the expectations of the man by the pool, who thought actually Jesus needed to help him to get into the pool, that was how he was gonna get healed, no. So there's no, nothing formulaic about this. What we need to do is ask Jesus and let him decide in his infinite wisdom and power and kindness how he will respond. And then it just strikes me that healing is not just about physical need. You know, I, I am slightly overlaying, this isn't in the text, but the man who'd been waiting for 38 years, I mean, 38 years, I think your hope levels are pretty low. I think your an anonymity in the hundreds of people waiting around that pool to be healed, pretty low. So I think Jesus meets us at a much deeper level and responds to our emotional needs and our needs to be seen. And then finally, what really struck me is that Jesus, these healings elicited very different reactions. So in some, there was great faith. We see the man go back to his household, the whole household believe. We don't really actually know whether the man who was healed develops faith. But we see, do see the Jewish leaders responding in fear because it challenges the social order. So Jesus is not safe and requires a response. And so the Jesus we need to know. So this now, people, is our final bit before we invite the Holy Spirit. And I think we, there are some ways in which we can respond to, to I hope, what God has planted in your heart. That, that the Jesus that does the unexpected, the really surprising, the things that we cannot and don't believe that he can do. So who's Jesus? We talked about this in Alpha on Tuesday evenings. Watch a wonderful conversation we had. Who is Jesus? So if you know Jesus, take a look at him again because he's really surprising. Um, don't disqualify yourself. If you're here and you have a need, and the Holy Spirit right now is planting a thought in your mind about something that you need, ask for help. There is nothing that disqualifies you from his love and his grace and his kindness. Um, he can heal wounds that are invisible. And we heard a bit about the wholeness course, which is a wonderful way where you can pursue some of that whole living, but again, invite Jesus in.
and seek physical healing because Jesus heals today. So if you will, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And if you will stand, I want to pray. I want to pray. And if, if, you, can, if you want to, please put your hands out as a sign that you want to receive from the Jesus who does the really unexpected, the Jesus who knows your heart, who knows your mind, who wants to plan something new, who wants to do something fresh in your life. And I'm going to pray, come Holy Spirit. Uh, in a minute, when the band are playing, there will be people at the back for prayer. So we want to pray for you for physical healing or for any healing. We want to do that. But I'm going to pray now, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you that you uh, came, that you walked this earth, that you showed your power, you gave us an insight to the kingdom and that you did it because of love. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you make Jesus real to us today. And we thank you that you're here and that your desire is to transform our hearts, transform our minds, to give us a different perspective on your greatness and your glory. And so we invite you to come and work in hearts this morning. Come Holy Spirit.